0: Amen. I welcome you again, and thank you again for uh, joining us this Mother's Day uh, as we uh, worship the Lord Jesus Christ and and give thanks um, for the gift of mothers. And and that's what I want to talk a a little bit about today. You know, most people, uh, when called upon to speak... Uh, they generally speak in an area of expertise, and so you're in you're in luck this morning because I get to speak in my highest level of expertise, and that is how to be a mother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, but mothers mothers have a, a a profound impact, of course, on the lives of their children, and I would I would say that our culture today, unfortunately, um, does not appreciate the role of motherhood. Um, and uh, it's much more important than I think we ever uh, think about. <clears throat> Mothers, of course, have a way, have an ability to shape society, to shape the future uh, in ways that we don't appreciate. They get you, uh, they get the privilege, and in, um, in ways, oftentimes, even fathers don't to uh, shape the minds, the hearts, the consciences of the next generation shape the way they think, shape the way they view the world. And, of course, I would say that this is not merely an accident, that this is by design. God created the family. He created uh, man, male, and female. He presided over the first wedding, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. And he understood uh, that the, the, uh, the family... Uh, is the foundational uh, building block of society, and motherhood plays a crucial role in that. So what I want to talk about this morning is five things mothers do. Five things mothers do. So we're going to be in in several different texts, uh, and I'll read them for you. Um, uh, So five things mothers do. So number one, mothers embrace... God's word and plan. Mothers embrace God's word and plan. Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 38. Uh, The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born Will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, "Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word." And the angel departed from her. So, this, of course, uh, this passage is about Mary. Uh, the mother of Jesus. And I want you to think about the remarkable faith of this young girl. You can, you can hardly call her a woman because many people believe that she was a teenager when this happened. She was a teenager. But God shows her. I want you to think about this. God chose Mary for this task. It was a, it, this, this specific calling This vocation to be a mother. And and I mean, (laughs) think of the calling to be the mother of the Son of God. And so I think that this is a case in point right here that motherhood is a divine vocation. A holy calling no different than the call that anyone else has experienced to serve the Lord whether as a pastor or missionary or any vocation that you do to the glory of God and for the good of others. And, and, and so th- it, is a, it is a calling, a gift from God to, uh, to work, to spread his kingdom in the world. And, God, and get, think about this. God chose Mary specifically to be the mother of a specific child. And I want to say that's true of every child. And so there's no such thing as as accidents or mistakes here. And it's true that that, um, we all know that uh, we we think, for example, of uh, children with special needs and things like that. And those can bring great difficulties that you didn't expect, that you often don't expect in families. But look, that's no accident. That's not a mistake. God chooses Specific women to have specific children for God's glory and for the good of others. And he called Mary to be a specific mother of a specific child. And Mary here, I think that she gives an example of great faith here. And in her, in, in what we learn from her should characterize all mothers and should characterize all believers in Jesus Christ. And that is that she was utterly Committed to and she utterly embraced God's word and God's plan for her life. Because when she heard the news from the angel, she said, let it be to me according to your word. What, what godliness this shows on, on Mary's behalf. Godly young woman. Oh, for more godly young women. God chose her for a purpose. And you and, and think, you think Mary, she was young, sure, she was young, but she shows a great deal of spiritual maturity here. And look, she's no fool. She understands, she might not, she might not have been able to articulate it, but anyone raised in a particular culture knows and understands that culture. She knew when the angel told her that she was going to have a child, you think she didn't know what was going to happen to her? An unwed Mother? in her culture at her time? You don't think she understood what it would mean for her, what it would mean for her family, what it would mean for her engagement? And what does she say? Let it be to me according to your word. We can learn a lot from Mary you see, Mary, she, you think, I, I don't, this is not just, this, this is a general truth. Of course, she was a young girl. You think she wasn't dreaming about her wedding to Joseph? You think she wasn't dreaming about the future? You think she wasn't dreaming about the plans she had for her life? And then an angel one day shows up. And literally her life is changed Forever. But what? What was Mary's heart? It was an imposition on her. She embraced it as God's will, even though it meant hardship on her life. And it did. She saw her 33-year-old son nailed to a Roman cross. But the hardship of the life that God chose for her did not deter her from wanting God's will for her life. So it may be that difficulty that comes in life and that comes with parenting. It might not be apart from God's will for us. It may be God's will for you. Because Mary was called to endure that. Why? Because Jesus Christ saved the world. And somebody had to be his mother. And had to endure the pain that came with it. And so we need to say with Mary... Let it be to me, O oh God, according to your word. So what is God calling you to? What is God calling you to be as a mother, as a father in the home, as a, as a, as a person in the workplace, where, as a friend, as a family, whatever God has called you to? Maybe he's calling you to. What, what is it? He called marriage to this specific thing. He's calling us all to something. He's calling people all over the world right now to go live, to go give their lives for the gospel in the hardest, in the places where there's no gospel witness, where there's almost sure guarantee of pain and loss of life. Why would people do that? Unless they are, unless they utterly believe that God's plan is better. And they are willing to say, let it be to me according to your word. And so, number one, mothers embrace God's Word and plan. Number two, mothers pass on their faith. Mothers pass on their faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. <clears throat> Paul writes, "...as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy." I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. As far as we know, this letter is the last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. It was written shortly before his martyrdom, sometime during the reign and persecutions of Emperor Nero. And at this point, of course, Paul had known Timothy for a long time. He had known Timothy for a long time. And, but I want you to think about this. At this point in his life, Paul almost certainly has a lot of things on his mind. He's contemplating his death. He's contemplating his martyrdom. We know that Paul had bored incredible weight of anxiety for the churches that he uh, planted and so there's no doubt that on his heart and and that's the 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 brunt of second Timothy as a letter as a whole for example he's so burdened that Timothy might preserve the gospel and proclaim it so that it would be passed on to future generations why is Paul so burdened that Timothy be a godly man and pass on the the true gospel to other men who will pass it on and pass it on, it's because he knows that he's not gonna be there anymore. And so the work has to go on, and he and someone else has to keep has to keep on passing the torch of the faith because Paul is contemplating his own death. And yet, in spite of all these things, Paul has on his mind. He's writing this last letter. He's writing it to Timothy. And when he thinks of Timothy, he can't think of Timothy apart from thinking of two women. Lois and Eunice. What does he, why does he think of Timothy's mother and grandmother? Because Paul had given so much of his time and effort into nurturing The flame in Timothy's heart, but that flame didn't begin with Paul. That flame was ignited by Lois and Eunice. The flame of the faith. It was already there, and Paul was nurturing what was already placed in there by his mother and his grandmother. Oh, how many flames have been lit down through the Christian ages by mothers and by grandmothers. If you give your children anything, give them this. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. On April 5th, 1831, Amelia and James Taylor married and settled into a life in Barnsley, England, where James ran a pharmacology shop. James... Uh, Gifts as a preacher were recognized by his church, and he spent much time as a lay preacher on Sundays. James, however, could be a very severe man, but he and Amelia gave their children a faithful Christian home where they were trained in the ways of the Lord. Hudson Taylor, their firstborn son, was, just over a year, was born just over a year after their wedding. Despite his his upbringing, he turned away from the Lord and from religion as a teenager as he began working in a bank where his co-workers openly mocked Christianity and he was allured by the life of those with wealth. However, uh, interestingly, his poor vision forced him to resign and return home. His father, being a severe man, unfortunately often hindered Hudson's faith than helped it. But his mother, Amelia, redoubled her efforts to be kind, gentle, and patient toward him. She spoke with him, counseled him, but became convinced also that the best thing she could do was commit him to prayer. During during a short holiday away from the family home, she felt felt compelled to increase the length and earnestness of her prayers for, for Hudson. One day after... Uh, That compulsion grew to such a degree that she determined to pray for her son until she came to a sense of assurance that God would save him. She locked herself in a room and for hours pleaded with God that he would extend mercy to Hudson. And then all of a sudden she believed that God had answered her prayer and her heart turned from pleading to praise and she worshiped God that she believed had indeed saved Hudson. Meanwhile, Hudson had been at home. Bored and discontent, he began looking for something to do. He wandered into his father's library, and though he pulled book, from book after book from the shelf, he found nothing until he came to a, a, a tract entitled Poor Richard. He read the story and then came to these simple words, quote, The finished work of Christ. In that very moment, Hudson understood that Christ had done all that was necessary for salvation and that the only right response was to accept that work by faith. Right there, he fell on his knees and committed his life to the Lord, promising to serve him forever. He soon learned that as he was on his knees praising God for his salvation, his mother was doing the very same thing many miles away. And as a side note, Hudson found out later that his sister though she was only 13 years old, had committed a month before his conversion that she was going to pray for her brother three times a day. And, and he only discovered this later by when, he happened to, when he opened up her journal and, and happened to see that she had wrote that. In other words, God is often pleased to use mothers as the instrument of his saving grace to their children. And so if we give our children anything, it must be this. Faith in Jesus Christ. So number two, mothers pass on their faith. Number three, mothers draw others into the family. Mothers draw others into the family. Romans uh, chapter 16, verse 13. Paul writes, Greet Rufus chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. This brings me to a really important point, a very important point, and that is once you get the age, as it were, to become a mother, you don't have to be that age very long to learn that you don't have to literally give birth to someone to be a mother. especially when you have kids and the kids become teenagers and they bring friends into your home and the other people's kids essentially become your kids, you don't have to give birth to somebody to be a mother. I want you to think about this. We know nothing about Rufus and we know nothing about Rufus's mother. But the word of God abides forever. And Rufus's mother is forever enshrined as a mother, not just to Rufus, but to Paul. She became a mother to Paul, and she will be remembered forever for being this kind of mother. And this is the way God has designed it, especially in Christ, in the new covenant. In Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 3, Isaiah writes this, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen the cord, Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations. And will people the desolate cities. Paul, I mean Isaiah, is writing about the restoration of Israel from exile, but if you read it, it's a lot more complicated and deeper than that. And he's talking about the the full and final restoration from exile that Israel will experience through the work of the Messiah, through the work of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And what in, in Isaiah 53 it talks about the suffering servant that though he will suffer and though he will bear the iniquities of the, of the many he will see his offspring. In other words in Christ though you though we may never have biological children we can have children in the realest and fullest sense. That is anyone whom you nurture in the Lord anyone whom you pour forth the the spiritual milk of the gospel of Jesus Christ into their lives so that they may live, you are a mother. And that is the essence of motherhood. In fact, it is what physical motherhood, I would say, points to and is a shadow of. It is the fullness of motherhood. That is the true motherhood, it's not biology, it's theology. It's the self-giving of oneself for the sake that the other person may live in Christ. Though generally God is referred to in the Bible as a father, he speaks of giving birth to his people. Paul all the time has no problem using analogies of motherhood for himself. Jesus Christ wept over Jerusalem and say, "Oh, that I, I, I want how much have I would have gathered you to myself as a hen?" gathers her brood under her wing. This is motherhood in its fullest and richest sense. And this is your calling as women. this is our calling, all people, this is the calling of the church to pull others to bring. Rufus' mother, she pulled Paul into her home and into her life. And we, by faith, we pull others into our home, into our lives, in the hopes that they may be pulled into the family of God. And, Paul, and, and, and the Bible then says we are being mothers. Rufus' mother became a mother, mother to the apostle Paul. Whose mother are you going to be? Mothers draw others into the family. Number four. Mothers agonize over their children. Mothers agonize over their children. Galatians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writes, It is always good... To be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am, and again, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul views himself as a mother to the Galatians. He has, in a sense, and he has no problem drawing this analogy he has agonized in the pains of childbirth over the galatians and when the false teachers as we've been talking about on sunday morning for months now judaizers have came in to deceiving his children you ever heard of a mother bear losing her cubs this is paul And he will not stand idly by while his children are being led astray. And so Paul rebukes the false teachers and he pleads with his children, the Galatians. He reasoned with them. He argued from scripture with them. He pled with them based on their relationship to one another. He agonized over them. He did everything he knew how until Christ might be birthed in them. Parenting is agony, in the best sense of the word. What, why is it, what are we living for if we have nothing to agonize over? Paul had his children, and he agonized over them, and it is our calling to agonize over our children. And I have no doubt that many, of, many in here know this agony. Maybe your, your children are not walking with the Lord. Well, we don't give up. We pray. We plead. We reason. We exhort. We do everything within our power. And, of course, this is true not just of our biological children, as we've been talking about. But whomever God has given you, whomever God has placed into your lives, other family members that you have that don't know the Lord, neighbors, co-workers, whoever God has placed within your life, within your sphere of influence who don't know the Lord. We need to say with Paul, oh, that Christ may be formed in you. And then we find the essence of motherhood. I've shared this illustration recently, but it's worth sharing again. This is about the mother of Charles Spurgeon, who, as you know, was one of the greatest English-speaking preachers who ever, have, 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 has ever lived. This is, this is about his mother. It says, Since the father was so busy, the task of bringing up the family fell largely to the mother. She was an exceptionally devout and gracious woman, and the son James, Charles' brother, stated, quote, She was the starting point of all the greatness and goodness any of us, by the grace of God, have ever enjoyed. Charles looked back on her with deep affection and gratitude, and he tells of her reading the scriptures to her children and pleading with them to be concerned about their souls. I cannot tell you how much I owe of the solemn words of my good mother, he wrote. And I remember on one occasion her praying thus, Quote, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment. If they do not lay hold of Christ. The thought of my mother's bearing a swift witness against me pierced my conscience. How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee... And with her arms about my neck, prayed, Oh, that my son may live before thee. We must agonize over our children. This is an important point. I think it's a temptation. I think it's something we do unintentionally, myself included. But I think sometimes it's, it's tempting to just treat our children as they're already believers, they're not. And we need to tell our children that they need Christ. And you pray with your children and you teach your children, but you need to tell them you need the Lord. You need to make a personal decision to follow Jesus, to surrender your life to him, to believe in him. So mothers agonize over their children. And finally, number five. Mothers show themselves to be blessed. Mothers show themselves to be blessed. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 28. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. This, of course, is a little hard to explain, maybe a little more speculative on my part, but the wisdom writer speaks of the excellent wife who is, by definition and extension, the excellent mother. And part of her testimony is that she lives her life and she carries herself and she governs her household in such a way that one day her children will rise up and say, my mother is a blessed woman. And her husband also praises her. Now, of course, this, made me, this makes me ask the question, what kind of woman would generate this kind of response? Now, I'm assuming, of course, here, that the children and husband are God-fearing people so that they are assessing their mother, not in terms of just, you know, worldly things, but they're assessing their mother in terms of God's ideals and not worldly wisdom. And so these People, these men and women and the husband who fears the Lord, they grow up and they look back on the way that their, their mother cared for them and, and took care of the household. And they say, she was blessed by God. What kind of woman receives this commendation? Well, in Proverbs 31, the wisdom writer tells us, verses 11 through 12, she is trustworthy woman. Verses 13 through 19 and verse 27, she's a hardworking woman. Verse 20, she's a generous woman. Verse 21 and 26, she's a wise woman. Verse 25, she's a fearless woman. Verse 30, and of course, this is the key to it all. She's a beautiful woman, and her beauty is her fear of the Lord. You see? Her beauty is the fear of the Lord. So how can we summarize? We would say that this is a woman who has such a quiet confidence in the Lord, who is such, who is a, full of joy and peace and hope and free from fear and anxiety because her hope and integrity are rooted in the unchangeable faithfulness of God that she is able to face life boldly and courageously and fearlessly because she knows God is on her side. And children, see that and they say, you're a blessed." So five things mothers do. Number one, mothers embrace God's word and plan. Number two, mothers pass on their faith. Number three, mothers draw others into the family. Number four, mothers agonize over their children. Number five, mothers show themselves to be blessed. So... does one become such a person? How does one become such a mother, just such a Christian in general? Well, by doing this. It's not first by trying harder. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's first by casting yourself on the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. It's first by looking away from yourself and looking to Jesus Christ and having such firm confidence that he is for you because he has already shown himself infinitely for you in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you are so confident in the power of his Holy Spirit at work in you that you know that by his power you can't but help become this kind of woman. As you daily yield your life to him. That is that the Proverbs 31 woman is not necessarily something that any individual woman is. She, is. she is what every woman who has the Spirit of God in her is becoming. Paul says, as we behold the glory of the, the Lord, we are changed from one degree of glory to the next. And so, day by day, in our lives, in our parenting, in in our family life, in our work, in our worship, as we behold Jesus Christ, we become what we behold. And so I urge one and all this morning to become, to embrace all people, male, female, mother, father, father, Married, single, all people, we can embrace these five things mothers do. For God's glory and for the good of others. Knowing that he is making us by the power of the spirit as we yield to him who he desires us to be. And I close this morning uh, with um, with a simple invitation. These things are impossible without the Holy Spirit of God. It's impossible. And we become children of God by exercising faith in the the dying and the risen Lord. And so I invite one and all this morning. To look to Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, who conquered the penalty for our sins by rising from the dead, and who, when we, as we embrace him by faith, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, so that we can become who he desires us to be, who we were made to be. I invite you this morning, you can receive Christ by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for every mother, biological children or not in this room. Everyone who bears the spirit of motherhood in their heart and in their life. I pray you would bless them. I pray you'd strengthen them. I pray that you would help them to cast off the the lies of the enemy and run harder than ever to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would fill them fresh with your spirit. To, to put to death the, the the flesh. And to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And to speak truth, gospel truth into the lives of those whom you have given now. And that we may together bear the spirit of motherhood in our lives. Seeing your kingdom grow through New birth with those whom we encounter. And as